Amen, amen. Hey, good morning. That's pretty good. Let me try that one more time. Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. You know, um, that picture was our family. I'm married, uh, one wife, three kids. And um, I was wearing sunglasses, and I was thinking when I saw that picture, it would have been hilarious if I would have came up here with sunglasses and to pretend that I was blind, because this is scary right here, right? I don't know if you ever had a preacher that's fallen off the stage, but I'm a mover, and this is getting me a little bit nervous. Um, so I may go home to be with Jesus tonight, today, right after this message, all right? Um, it's good to be here today. Um, again, my name is Kenji Adachi. I'm the lead pastor of All People's Community Church, and we meet at Eagle View Elementary School, which is a feeder school into Lanier. And you guys have planted years before us, and so we're still elementary, and then you guys are middle school, so it's nice to be able to graduate and, and be among adults or older students, all right? Um, so um, this reminds me, this stage that you could fall off, about instability that we're in, right? I don't know if you've felt it in the past couple of years. Um, inflation is at the highest in 21 years. You know what that means? It's at 8.5%. That means when I go to Chipotle and when I would pay a burrito, I have to pay $10 almost for a burrito now when it used to be $8.50. That means we're, that you're never going to go back to seeing $3 gas prices. Um, it says that one in four adults worldwide will uh, encounter mental illness or anxiety. And maybe that's one of you here today. Um, 41.6% in the U.S. adults will struggle with that. And the, the, the age group that's affected the most is 18 through 29. That's a lot in your church, right? And then that means suicide ideation. That's a big word. It means that you're thinking about hurting yourself or killing yourself, actually. Um, has doubled, Right? You know, we think COVID is the, is the great pandemic, but, you know, mental illness and everything else. And this, this world is, is crazy. And there's a lot that your church has gone through without a pastor. I've known Pastor Jeff for years. And it's encouraging to be here that it's never about the pastor, right? It's about God's people and God's faithfulness working and keeping a remnant of people that will worship him. So, in order for us to move from instability towards stability, um, we need good leaders. We need gospel-centered leaders. We need to be rooted and grounded in what is strong and stable and secure, and that is the good news of the gospel and God himself. So, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Ezra chapter 7, and don't worry if you've never been in Ezra um, I'll give you a little bit of background on that. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for the, the praise team, for Hang and, and everyone else, all the people that came to set up early this morning. I'm just like our church. Saw the people praying as I was praying from the parking lot, walking in, and boom, there's a group of people praying. Lord, this is your people. This is your church. And so we want to see you magnified here this morning. We pray as we open up your word that you would help us to hear and to see who you are 
and that we may have a, a personal encounter with the living God. And as Hang said earlier, that we would leave here more transformed or changed and different. And not just different, to be, to be more like Jesus. And so do that in our hearts this morning, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So let me talk to you a little bit about Ezra because we're in Ezra. Um, and so here's the cross, right? And if this is the New Testament, Ezra is right here. Boom, in the Old Testament. That was pretty cool, right? The little hop. Um, so if you begin in Genesis, right? Um, God saves his people, redeems his people to become a nation, right? They conquered the land, but because of their disobedience, God had warned them when he made a covenant with them called the Mosaic Covenant to be his people. It's kind of like marriage. If you study the Mosaic Covenant, it's just like marriage, right? Blessings and curses would come if they disobeyed and if they, you know, go after foreign gods. And that's exactly what they did, right? And so, then God promised them that you would go into exile. Foreign nations would come, and you're going to see this is going to be weird, but this is what we do at our church, and everybody knows that I do this, or if I saw some crew students, I do this all the time when I speak at crew. Um, so this is Israel. This is the Dead Sea because it's the saltiest place on earth, right? And you sweat, the Jordan River runs down. This is the Mediterranean, all right? The northern kingdom, Israel was divided because of their idolatry, Right? They were divided. The northern kingdom up here was taken in 722 by a foreign nation called the Assyrian Empire. You guys tracking? Just nod your head. If you're not tracking, that's okay. Jesus still loves you. <laughs> and then down here, right, the southern kingdom. In 586, who came? <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a good answer. No, Assyrians are up here. Babylonians came, right? Babylonians came and conquered them. Just had God had promised. But here's the good news, right? Whenever there's, God punishes his, his people and he will discipline his people. And some of us have been there, right? That's a good thing. But he promises mercy and grace. In 70 years, he promised for, through the prophet Jeremiah that I will redeem your people and I will return them and bring them back into the land that I gave you and promised you and that blessings would, would come, Right? And so Ezra is one of the leaders that brings God's people back to the promised land, okay? And so what's interesting is this. If you know the book of Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, it's written in a scroll, okay? So it's not a book. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. And it's, we don't know who wrote this book or scroll, but we are pretty certain it's probably Ezra, Okay? And so Ezra, what's interesting is he shows up in chapter 7. Because there's three waves of return. Zerubbabel and the other high priest led the first return. And then 40 years later came Ezra. So he, he's the main character. It's, it's named after him. And he shows up in chapter 7. So you're tracking with me? Now we're in chapter 7. So verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, that's the empire that came and conquered the Babylonians. Um, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of. And you probably do this when you read this, right? When you come across places like this in the Bible, son of, son of, and you turn the page, all right? But look at verse 5, it says, 
son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. All right. You were listening and thinking, what's the, what's the point of genealogies, right? Ever get to that place in the Old Testament or even in Jesus? Matthew, Luke, the genealogies, there, genealogies are there. And you're wondering, what's, what's the whole point? Well, this is significant because traditional cultures, this is how they define and built their identities. And some of you are from traditional cultures, right? Go ahead and nod your head if you're, if you're from that. What that means is this. You didn't define yourself like the contemporary culture is this. Contemporary culture is you are what you do, right? Your career, where you went to school, who you marry, what kind of car you have, what kind of clothes, how fit you are, right, et cetera. Your, your trips that you went on, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you build your identity in the, the contemporary culture. Traditional culture is freeing. You know why? Because you built it on your family. And so the whole point of this is this, that he's the son of Aaron means that he has the right to be a priest. Because all those people after Aaron became priests, right? And that's the good news of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us this, that God chose us in Ephesians 1.4. Even before the foundation of the world, right? Of the world, that God chose us to be holy and blameless. That he would save us and that he had, would want to save us even before the world was created. Chew on that for a minute. So here's the, here's the, the thing about traditional culture. It's explaining their culture, yes, but it's also pointing to the gospel, right? Because we're not, we don't go back to son of Aaron, right? Or son of Adam, Here's the dangerous part about the traditional culture. Because if you go all the way back, let's say you come from a bad family, right? And then, then you could be the, the best person in the world. You could be the kindest person, most loving person. But you're tied to your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather. And if they were wicked men, guess what? Then you would be cursed as well. See, the traditional culture is just as... Is, is damning in some ways like the contemporary culture. The gospel is the only way, right? Where we can be truly freed. Because Ezra may have the right, but he doesn't have the righteousness. Because we all know about Aaron. He's the one that created the golden calf. We know about his sons, right? They abused their priesthood. And God struck them down. The good news of the gospel gives us right and righteousness. Thanks, to, thanks be to Jesus. And this Ezra, he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked for. The hand of the Lord God was upon him. See, there's a supernatural call that saves people from sin, but it also saves you for a purpose. This is where a lot of people miss all the time. We're, we're always thinking about we're saved from sin, but I want you to know, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. But we forget about verse 10, which says you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means you're not just saved from sin, but you're saved for a purpose. God has something that he wants to do through you just in the very same way that he has 
for Ezra and anyone else that chooses to follow him. There's a, 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 a salvific calling, then there's a calling for purpose. And there's so many believers in this world, right? They understand this part, but they don't understand this part. We just go from job to job, career to career, and then that doesn't satisfy. And so we look for hobbies and things that, that will satisfy us. But what we're missing is vocation. Vocation means calling. God has a calling for every single one of you. You don't have to be a priest. That was his calling, right? But every single one of you, whatever you do, you have a calling. And do you know that? That this is what the Lord's created you to be and created you for. Are you clear about those things? Does it excite you? Secondly, what we see in a gospel-centered leader is someone who's competent. You know, we, said, we saw that he was a scribe, skilled in the law, and a scribe is this. A scribe is someone who is a historian. That's why, if you look at uh, the books before Ezra and Nehemiah, it's the book of histories, right? First and Second Chronicles. And, and Ezra is writing all these things. He's a, it's a scribe also means a lawyer. He was an expert in the law. It also meant that he was a teacher because they didn't have the temple. The temple was destroyed in Jerusalem when the Babylonians came and attacked, right? And so now they, they started the, the synagogues. That's where the synagogues started during the exilic period. And it says here that, you know, he was skilled because the hand of the Lord was upon him. That's what verse 6 says. But how does this work? God's sovereignty and then human responsibility. Because you can't just think that, that God's going to gift me and I'm just going to be like this, right? we got to work at it ourselves. There's human responsibility as well. We can't just rest completely on God's sovereignty. That he's the one who began a good work in us. We believe that. But we're partnering 100% with God to work out our salvation and the things that he's called us to. Look at verse 10 in Ezra 7. It says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. We got any foodies in here? Any, any foodies? All right, just a few. Our church, it's, we're ready to eat, you know. We got our, we're thinking about lunch. I got to tell our people to go down. But there's a, a documentary for foodies would know this called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Canada, she, she would know, right? Over here, this section, I saw them raise up. Asian people are foodies. We, we raise our hand up for anything. We're praising, right? Uh, it, it follows a, a, a master sushi chef named Jiro Ono. Okay, he's 85 years old in the documentary that was, came out in 2011. And he, he's, he uh, has a three-star Michelin restaurant. Okay, so for those who don't know what that means, that means that's the highest honor that you could ever have in the culinary world. There are only 130-some in the entire world. There's only 13 in the United States that are three-star Michelin star restaurants. Okay, and so they follow Jiro and... And they see that he has his routine every single day. You know, 
seven days a week or six days a week. You know, gets up at five to go get the fish and they'll get it. And they'll, if they have octopus, you know what they do with the octopus? They will massage it for 45 minutes, right? Some of you don't even get a, a, a 30 minute massage, right? 45 mi- minutes to massage the octopus to make it soft and subtle, subtle as possible, supple. That's the word, I think. English is my second language. Um, and um, apprentices, he has all these apprentices, right? It takes up to a year to master how to make rice, to do it right, right? And some of these apprentices, they'll apprentice up to 10 years until they can finally become what is called an artisan. Any artisans in here? Come on, y'all. y'all I know we got some secret artisans. Bread makers, craftsmen, painters. Ten years to become a master. And here's what Jiro says. After, he, he started working at a restaurant at the age of eight. You know? And after 60 years of running this restaurant, he says that all I want to do is to make better sushi. That's a person who sets his heart to study, to learn, and to teach other apprentices. We are all Jesus' apprentices. He's the master artisan. We're all following him, learning our craft. You don't have to be a preacher or a worship leader like hang. But whatever God's called you to, are you mastering that? For the master. And so that all the world may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. And your craft matters for the kingdom. And thirdly, what we see is a gospel-centered leader is, is someone who has character. You know, it says here that Ezra set his heart to study and to teach it. But right in the middle, what does it say? Go ahead, church. To do it. It says to do it, right? Because competence can only take you as far as your character. Competence can take you only as far as if you got bad character, you're crashing. We're seeing this so much in the church world, aren't we? So many of these no-knock on denominations or networks or, or church sizes, but so many of these mega church pastors are crashing. And ruining not just their lives, their marriages, and their ministry, but the name of Jesus. And we had a, uh, one of our missionaries, our, our church planter, speak at our church last month. And he's, he's going to move to Japan and plant a church in the second largest unreached people group in the world. This is where the gospel needs to go, to the unreached places. And we need you to go. We need you to give. We need you to pray for that area. They don't know Jesus. And so this brother is and his wife, they're going to move next year to go to Japan. And he's a young preacher. And, and so, you know, I was talking to uh, my wife on Sunday after church. And I was like, yeah, he's going to have to keep working on his preaching. And that's the feedback that I gave him. But here's what I told my wife. I said, but I love that. Because I'm so 
certain of his character, his humility. We don't need any more of these flashy preachers. And I'm one of those, right? We don't need any more of those people. Because all this is a show to some. But we need people that will actually do it. Not just preach it or teach it, but to do it. And this doesn't, again, apply to me or to pastors. It applies to all of us. That we read God's word. Are you a doer of his word or just a hearer, as James says? You know, in the Bible, it lists 15 qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can read another qualifications list in Titus chapter 1, and you should know, be aware of these things. Um, but out of the 15 qualifications, there's only one that's based on competence. It says able to teach. 14 others' qualifications are all about character. And both the list in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, it says above reproach. That's the standard. Right? For a qualification of a, a pastor elder. Now, for you guys, you know, you're like, okay, that takes me off the hook. If you're thinking that way, no, no, no. Why lower the standard? I was talking to my daughter. She's 19. She's, she's a freshman in college. And I was talking to her about once about, you know, her future boyfriend, husband down the road. And I said, you know, what, what do you look for? And she, you know, says some good answers, and one of those being to be like someone like mom and dad. That's what she said, right? Um, That's a good answer, um, I I think. And um, and then I took her to First Timothy chapter three, and we walked and read through this. And I said, Karis, this is what I'm praying for you. This is the kind of a man that I want you to marry. This is the kind of man that I want Alana to marry. This is the kind of man that I want Derek to be and and you and Alana as well. Right? That's that's given to protect the church, this this standard of character of being above reproach. But why not? Why why settle and keep it low for everyone else? Why can't we have that standard for even our kids as they be thinking about who they're going to become and who they will marry? And if you're a single person here today, do you have a standard? Is it a biblical standard? The person that you would like to one day be with? And are you striving, aspiring, as 1 Timothy 3.1 says, to be that kind of person yourself? Because if you are, you will draw those kind of people. Character matters to, to Ezra just as much as his craft. And lastly, a gospel-centered leader is one who's courageous. Because in order to leave the comforts of Babylon and go all the way across, Babylon's here, all the way across to back to Jerusalem, it would take four to five months. Over a thousand miles, and you know they didn't have Teslas back then. And it, would, and it also, this chapter tells us that they were ca- carrying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of gold, silver, 
and all the things necessary to rebuild the temple and furnish it. And so it would take a lot of courage to return back, to leave what is comfortable, to go to a place that had been destroyed. It would be like going back to Ukraine, right? Back to your homeland after it's been devastated after a war. And to go back and say, yes, we will rebuild, we will restore, we will renew. In verse 27, Ezra responds, because the king, I don't have time, but you can read, I encourage you to read the rest of Ezra 7. But the king, the king Artaxerxes, the one in power, he's not a believer. He, he makes a decree saying that if you need all the gold and silver, here it is, up to this amount. You know? He says, all the people that want to go back, you can go. As many as you'd like. And he makes it official decree. And here's how Ezra responds. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. If you are tracking... That was the second time, as we read through the text, this phrase, the hand of the Lord. Actually, it appears three times in this chapter, six times in this book. Because nothing can ever happen without the, the sovereign power of God on someone's life. And not just one individual, but an entire nation, an entire kingdom, what we're seeing, and then the whole world. God's hand is upon the king, it is upon his officials. It doesn't matter. Unbelieving people, God's hand is upon them. And God determines everyone's steps. And you're saying, wow, this is, this is a lot. I encourage you, just read the Bible. Over and over, you will see God's hand again and again. Again, God's gracious hands. And if you have a hard time seeing it from the Bible, just look at the lives of the people in this room. Hear their stories. Sit with them. And you will be able to see the fingerprints of God all over their life. Again and again and again. Your church has been pastorless for eight months. And you're still a church. Still people here gathering who want to worship together as a family. People who love God and people that want to go love all peoples. People gathered. That's God's hand upon your church. You know, don't look at the size of, the, of your church. Or the people that are in this room. Look at the size of your God. Look at the, his strength. Look at his steadfastness throughout the scriptures. You know, God's not done 
And I'm so excited to hear that you have a pastor now that's coming. And so that the gospel can continue to go bear much fruit through this church to make more purposeful disciples that will make more disciples generation after generation again and again. The hand of the Lord is here. I don't want you to miss it. The hand of the Lord is upon your life and it could be a season where you're in exile. And that may be you today. A season where you're facing instability and suffering and struggle. But there will come a point of redemption and renewal, just like Israel. And if it's not on this earth, it will be when Jesus returns with an ultimate renewal, ultimate restoration. And then where justice will reign once and for all. And so God's hand will be so evident at the very end. And we're getting close. We're getting close. And there may be people here today. You may be in this place of instability. And maybe you're here today and you've kind of given up on what the Bible teaches. That you're having a hard time believing that God is for you and is with you. And that you, you think you're cursed. Because some sin that you've committed or some, someone sinning against you. Some of the dumb choices that you may have made or someone else has made. And you feel cursed. And then there are people here today who do not know Jesus. And someone's invited you this morning. And that you want to, you're here today because you're wanting to explore more about him. And I want you to also not lose hope during this time. But the God of the Bible gives us hope so that you can cope, not just in this world, but in the world to come. And I want you to be open to that. The good news of the gospel is this. If you are hopeless because of the things that you've done, we just go back to, the first point, that our righteousness is secure because of Christ. We go back because we are sons of our Heavenly Father. And that's our only hope. By God's sovereign grace and His mercies, He has chosen the weak things of this world to save them, to shame the wise. And if you're here today, you're a a strong believer, continue to spread that hope. Continue to point everyone to God's strength and, and Christ's courage. That's where we find it. Not in the world. The world says this. They, they, they focus so much on reputation, right? And reputation is, is instantaneous. Something that goes viral. And you become famous. It doesn't take time, right? Character, competence, discerning your calling and becoming courageous, all those things, they, they take time. They're done in private, whereas reputation is viral. It's public. This is 
internal work. This is individual work. This is where God does his work, where no one sees. And it's because it's when it's built on the timeless truth of God's word. And so may we focus on those things, not on reputation. Would you now join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your word and the power of your spirit. And we ask, God, that there may be people here this morning who are far from you. There may be people who who do not know you. People whose hearts may be cold towards you. God, would you gently uh, restore them and come to them again? May they be able to not just to see your hand, but to feel the, the tenderness and the warmth of your heart through their hand. God, would you let them be so aware of your sovereign steps that you're leading them right now in their life out of instability towards stability. And we pray that for Fairfax Bible Church. Lord, their journey being pastorless, being homeless. God, you've brought them back to this place, a place that needs the gospel. All the students that come through here, the communities around here, our city, our nations, our neighbors, these are the people who need your love. Left that us up to the church, and that's why this church is still going, still standing. Because Jesus, you said, Upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the only one who's completely perfectly called, He's the only one with the perfect character, He's the only one with the, the, the perfect competence to be able to save sinners. He's the courageous one who went to the cross. This is who we build our lives on. This is who we build our church on. And so Jesus, help us right now to do that again and again through the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' great name.